your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope. Brought to you by the Sensory Learning Center with host and mother of a recovering child with autism, Betsy Hicks. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Betsy and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Betsy Hicks. Hello and welcome everybody. Really happy about today's show because this is something that every single person who is listening today is going to be able to benefit from. And we're going to be talking about speech therapy today. The guest I have is a very good friend of mine. Her name is Angie Knight, and she has her master's from St. Louis University, and she is the founder of Outreach Therapies in Kansas City, Missouri. She has Currently, she's doing mostly evaluations and interventions as well as training therapists on a style that's very play-based. She strongly promotes individualizing each approach based on the child's unique needs. Angie, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me, Betsy. Angie, I, oh, there's so many things that, ways that we can go here, and because you and I have talked so much about every child's individual needs, and we are really going to try to touch on every unique child on, in this show today, and no matter where your child is, we have something to help you to promote communication. Um, but let's, probably chronologically, let's start out with the youngest, and um, when you are first given that diagnosis, usually around the age of two or so, where where do you start at that point? Correct. Well... If we're lucky enough to um, get children that young in the early intervention programs that each state has, um, you know, the opportunities are just phenomenal. Um, and it's so important um, for parents if they're recognized, if they see any signs of autism spectrum, um, any pervasive atypical development um, that they're seeing in their kids to get access to therapy at a real young age. And it doesn't matter if you have a diagnosis. If you're on a waiting list for a diagnosis, absolutely. don't and you, waste time on, on that. In fact, a lot of our kids that we see um, in the birth to three population, they usually don't have a diagnosis until usually three or later. And oftentimes, you know, parents just aren't ready ready for that yet. Um and, and like you said, a diagnosis, that's not the important thing. The important thing is getting the therapy and getting the parents trained and knowing how to communicate with their child. The reason why I push early intervention is mainly because the brain, the development of the brain is, is the synapses the brain is making is like a million times more in the child's brain than the adult brain. So between basically 18 months and four, four and a half years of of age, we just have this amazing opportunity to mold the child's brain so much. So much learning happens between those years. Um, and it's not that children can't learn afterwards, but if we can get the basic skills into that child at those early ages, it's very, very, it's, it's very critical. So I'm a big, big um, proponent for, you know, early intervention. Um, when we start with kids that are two, um, 
everything is very play-based. And a lot of kids that are on the autism spectrum don't have really good play skills. And so we usually start there, um, just teaching them how to play, trying to get them to imitate what we're doing. Imitation, of course, is a very important skill um, because eventually we'll want them to imitate our speech and our language as well. So just doing very functional play-based therapy, getting on the floor with kids, um, talking about what they're doing, um, getting in their world. If you have a child that likes to hide, you go hide with them and, and take toys to them. Instead of pushing them into our world, we go into their world and slowly bring them out. Um, child-based therapy is is really essential, and it, and it helps with generalization as well. Um, you know, I'm not a big fan of cookbook approaches with any child, so of course every child is different. Um, but there's some simple things that um, parents can do with their kids. Um, one is like anticipation guides. So if you're wanting a child at the young ages um, to start anticipating what's going to happen next, you can do things like one, two, three, jump, and then help them jump. One, two, three, jump, and then you help them jump again. And then slowly you can say one, two, three, and then you kind of lead them into saying jump or having them do the action. And you can do that with tons of different toys. It's the same concept of ready, set, go. Right. And if you say those things and you do repetitive things over and over with the kids, then you can slowly start leaving off that last portion of it and letting them fill it in. And that's typically how, you know, just basic, you know, two-year-olds learn as well. So um, it's just those kind of lead-in phrases, even at that young of age, really helps promote speech development. Um, And even if they're, you know, even if they're older, developmentally they might be at a younger age, you still can use a lot of those kind of play-based things. Um, Okay. So um, when you – it's it's hard because there's there's older age-wise and then there's older developmentally. Exactly. And and that's where it gets tricky because um, Angie knows my son – Joey very well. Just so you know, I I live in Wisconsin. Angie lives in Kansas City, Missouri, so we don't see each other very often. <laughs> but occasionally, I'll bring my son down, and, and Angie will work with him because she's so amazing, and she gets so much language out of him so quickly. Now, you know, as you know, Angie, my son right. um, was used to be the severest of all cases. He's a very very sick little boy, and did not really start having any verbalization that was communicatively until the last couple of years, really, Um, and you've known him for this time, and and he is 13 years old now, And but age-wise, as far as developmentally, he's all over the place, because he's got his gross motor where he's at, he's got his fine motor where he's at, Mm -hmm. so it's very hard, I think, when we're talking about defining where somebody is age-wise. Absolutely, and, and, you know, you have to think about the child, I mean, I'm not going to have a 16-year-old playing, I'm not going to play a fishing game with a 16-year-old. Now, 11 or 12-year-old who finds it pretty fun and interesting, I will take that out. Um, Or I'll do more, you know, pre-literacy books, like preschool-type books with kids that are older if 
their interest level is there. Um, a lot of kids, when we start them older, they don't even have an, any idea how to play with toys. They're more interested in roaming around, doing their own thing, kind of getting in their little their stims that they do. Every child is so different. But um, so for those kids, it's kind of working with what they have instead of forcing them to sit and do this stuff. It's it's kind of trying to find a happy medium, like you do this and then we do this. You do this and then we do this. And when you can get them to reason and, and figure that out, even if you have to do it visually, because some kids don't comprehend that kind of language, okay. um, then you can slowly have this trade-off, like I'll let you squeeze this, but just play a little bit of this game with me. And then typically, if you can use entertaining-type games, the kids often start realizing this is this is kind of fun. I can kind of I can do this, um, and then you slowly t- trade off more time playing your game and less time playing his game. So it's it's kind of like this trade off. And as you build a rapport with a child, and as you develop a relationship with a child, then they trust you, and to to kind of lead them out of their little world, if that, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, but, but usually I start with game playing just be, or toys just because they like the cause-effect type stuff, um, and you can still implement a lot of language in those. You can talk about in and out and give me two and you take one, and you can, you can bring a lot of curriculum and academics and um, vocabulary into those kinds of games. So kind of like I know a lot of families probably use an ABA-type approach. And even in our therapy, we do a lot of the, the same kind of behavioral-type techniques. But what we're doing is we're actually using the reinforcers to get the language, if that makes sense. Well, it, it's my frustration in any type of therapy with Joey has always been, you know, about sitting at a table doing trial after trial after trial as opposed to more of a play intervention. He's, you know, his right. attention and everything is going to be so much stronger. And I know that's a lot of what the Greenspan approach is and, or play time or floor time. That's what it leads into more. Right. Um, but I think what you're saying is that, you know, there's, just, there's a good combination that can be customized specifically for that child. Absolutely. And, and like you said, Every child is so different. That's why it's hard to talk to a whole population of, of listeners because I don't know their specific their specific child and their child specific needs. Um, you know, language is often an issue. Following directions, um, you know, pointing to pictures, showing us that they understand. So we have to do a lot of receptive language with our play and teaching kids and making sure they're attending to us so they're learning about their environment. Um, and then, of course, there's the expressive language portion of it, too, where we need to take time in our therapy to really give them the opportunity to express what their desires are. Um, and with parents, even in the home, you know, when I do therapy, parents are like, oh, my gosh, I can't do that all day long. Well, I don't expect my parents to sit down and do floor time or play-based therapy all day long, but they can take advantage 
of the reinforcers that naturally occur during the day. For example, if a child wants to go outside, oh, you want to go outside. What do you need? You need your coat, you know, or whatever it may be. To get outside, they need to open the door. You know, you can knock on the door. What do we need to do? We need to, you know, and you encourage them to say open. If they can say open, then you might want to encourage them to say open the door. If they are starting to sequence words together, we need to do two things. We need to put on your coat and open the door. What do we need to do? And then you encourage them to start stringing thoughts together. Um, It just depends on where the child is at. If a child has a really difficult time with speech and is just grunting and can't even imitate words, then you might just want to encourage them to either use a sign or just even an O for open, and then you... You, you accept that word approximation that they used and you reinforce it by opening the door. And the important, the important part here is that we're getting them to process because one thing that you had told me with ABA and where, and Joey was so ABA, um, trained that he never, he, he never stopped to really process. He was right. just, he was just very robotic almost in the way that he would do his, his work. Right. It's very it's very learned. You know, they just, oh, this is how I do it. And and then the, what we often find is is then they're not generalizing a lot of those skills right. Right. into right. other settings. You know, just the sit down, do this, do this doesn't help them when they're in Walmart and they're really wanting, you know, a certain food item or a certain toy off the shelf. Right. You know, so we need to take the therapy and expand it into all their environments. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Angie Knight, speech therapist. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. Omega Institute is the country's leading center for holistic studies. Now you can experience selected workshops from Omega in the comfort of your own home. Join us for a live web broadcast with John Friend, the founder of Anasara Yoga. In this dynamic workshop, we learn a Hatha Yoga system that is a celebration of the heart and looks for the good in all people and all things. To find out more about our live web broadcast, log on to our website, www.eomega.org. That's www.eomega.org. Or call us at 800-944-1001. That's 800-944-1001. 
To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On mind, brain, and body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Hi, this is Mark Victor Hansen. You know me for Chicken Soup for the Soul, the One Minute Millionaire, and Cracking the Millionaire Code. And what I want you to know is that if you want to have rip-roaringly good health, listen to Health Crusades by my friend John Farley. Tune in to Health Crusades with John Farley every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, only on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Betsy. Welcome back. We are here with Angie Knight and talking about speech therapy and how to do this with your child on your own. Um, Angie, the first thing that I would have thought of five years ago if I were listening to this show Knowing how severe my son used to be was, you know what, I can't even get that kid to sit still for 30 seconds. I can't even get him to listen to me, look me in the eye, anything such as that. And in, in my terms, is what I've been taught is that he was so dysregulated, right. he couldn't even concentrate. He was very, very sick. And, right. you know, I think about how many years I forced him to sit at that table and do trials when his head probably felt like it was, you know, a migraine headache and his stomach was constantly cramping. And I think I feel so guilty over, you know, here here you you deal with all the guilt as it is as dealing with autism. And then I thought I was doing the best thing, but yet he hurt so badly. And and so so what, how do you deal with being sympathetic of that part? Yes, that is a very good question, Betsy. Um, in fact, it, it breaks my heart when I see therapists taking pain as a behavioral issue, like because a lot of these kids can't express how they're feeling. They can't say, my tummy hurts. They can't say, my head hurts. And so they're noncompliant. They're running all over, and then therapists go in, treat it as a behavioral issue. Most kids on the autism spectrum their biochemistry is off. You know, they're very toxic. These kids, you know, the first thing I tell my parents when I go in is, have you heard about the gluten casein-free diet? Have you heard about helping the body heal? Because when the body starts healing, the brain starts healing. Um, A lot of my kids are diagnosed with, um, you know, sensory integration disorder, um, you know, the whole spectrum of autism. Kids always come out with all these different kinds of labels. But that doesn't tell me what is causing. The, the label is fine, but the label is not the diagnosis. There's something that's causing these kids to be wired, can't sit still, can't concentrate, can't talk, can't comprehend. Um, yes, we call it autism, but they're not just born with autism. They're, you know, these kids are typically a product of our environment. And 
I think it is so important for parents to really get a handle on not just therapy and what to do with their child and how to teach them to talk, but how to get their body, like you said, regulated. And doing that is through a good, healthy diet, finding doctors that can can really help them, getting them on supplements to get their system back in order. Um, you know, medication, in, in my eyes, from what I've seen, is not the answer. Um, knowing what I've n- learned about the body, I just think that's it just causes more problems with their liver, and these kids are already so toxic. So usually my parents, you know, and, and I'll be honest, I probably have maybe maybe 50% of my families will will go out and really learn about the body and learn about how it works and how how problems with diet and kids not being able to break down foods and kids not being able to absorb nutrients, how that affects the brain. And when they start to make the relationship and start to understand it, then I would say about 50% of my families go out and they do great. And these kids, I mean, I have children that some of my very most severe children with autism who are now in regular classrooms, maybe with a little bit of pair support. Um, some still need pull-out. But I am talking miracle children, and I truly give the credit to the families that just take the time to figure out how to feed their children. And, you know, it's not cheap. By any means, I mean, I have parents complain all the time, Angie, this is so expensive to buy this kind of food. Um, but And then I have parents that say it's so hard. But then once, you know, given six, seven months or however long it, it may take, you know, they look back on their lives and they say, you know what, this is much easier to give this crazy diet than it is to have to handle my child that can't communicate and can't I can't even develop a relationship with because he's so into his own world. So that to me is the key is to help to help the body regulate. Um, And then they are calmer and they can sit down and they feel better. And I've had kids that just amazing like they do the gluten casein free diet and take some other things out and start doing supplements and within. I mean, a couple months, night and day difference. Um, And I've had other kids that, you know, their speech doesn't come as quickly, but yet they're at least calm. They at least, you can tell they feel better. They're happy. Um, So the difference, what I see, is always significant, but every child, even in that case, is is right, so and depending on the, on the intervention that they're actually getting. In this, exactly. And some parents, I mean, right. they do everything. I mean, they do this very strict diet, and they do tons of supplements that were recommended by their doctor, and they do tons of lab work, you know. And typically the more they do, the better the kids get. Yeah, right. Okay, so going back to the whole regulation and the sensory integration, now do you do... You do um, a lot of speech therapy while the child is getting some sort of sensory input? Absolutely. And oftentimes, you know, I always tell therapists, yes, we are, our scope of practice is to help the child communicate better, help them understand language better. But when sensory is interfering with 
their ability to process, their ability to cope, their ability to sit and learn, then it is our job to be able to to handle that that area of development. And so oftentimes we'll, I mean, I've had kids where I'll make little obstacle courses and I'll pull them in the wagon. Um, my little kids will, will do therapy in the swing. You know, we'll do ready, set, go. Um, I'll have a book there, and before they get to swing, they, they'll, you know, have to point to a few pictures in the book. Or um, we've done things where kids that just need um, to squeeze something, you know, we, we use language. What do you want to do? You want to squeeze. You want to, and they say squeeze, and then we say, okay, we're going to squeeze to 10, and then they count to 10. So we utilize the sensory to get the language, if that makes sense. Yes, definitely. Well, I, I, in so many children, it's going to be such a necessary tool to get them just to be able to focus. Right. I mean, we can, you can, t- I mean, people can make scooter boards for pretty cheap, um, and if you're wanting your child to learn, I mean, we'll make obstacle courses and we'll push them on a scooter board and then they'll stop at a station and they have to do the activity and then we push them to the next station and they have to do that activity. So whether it be a fine motor activity at the one station, maybe a book at another station, maybe a little art project at another station, and then you get language at each station and then they have to, you know, say they're all done and then you go to the next. But just being on that scooter board keeps them motivated to to complete their work. So, so when, when do you have, though, the cutoff for that? Because um, we've talked about this with Joey and how he, you know, loves his rocking chair and how you can get sometimes a lot of words out of while he's rocking. Mm-hmm. However, then sometimes he can just get so involved in the rocking that he totally blocks everything out. Absolutely. And and that's a very good point. Um and this goes back to every child is different, and right. you need to you need to get to know the child and read their cues. My my goal is to push them to the most I can push them to without sending them over the edge. Same thing with sensory. Um, sometimes I think of sensory as like scratching my back. Like let's say I have a, an itch, and so I scratch it just a little bit, and that's great. But if I keep scratching it, then I want to scratch it more and more and more and more, and then that's all I can think about. Uh-huh. You know, kids that want to flip things or they, um, you know, want to bite on their hand or whatever their little stim may be, the more sometimes you let them do it, the more it feeds it. Um, So, you know, sensory is kind of, it's kind of that iffy thing, like you don't want to feed into it, but also if it's a need, you want to make sure we meet the need. So if he's rocking and attending and doing really good, then um, I know that I can keep going with it. And then the second he's telling me I can't concentrate anymore because I'm too into the rocking, Mm -hmm. that tells me we quickly do all done. Usually I do a plan so the kids will cross off that on the plan, and then we just skip, we go to the next activity. And and typically, though, in a lot of cases, if they have brought it too far to that edge and you do stop, then it's really hard to bring them out because they get so upset and so dysregulated right. and and so out of it. And then is it just a matter of just trying to get them refocused on something else? Right. You can try to refocus or do I mean, I definitely would take them out of that, do a calming activity, maybe some deep pressure. Um, it just depends on the kid. So um, once you get to learn the kid and know what kind of sensory activities are more calming, you know, what sensory activities kind of 
you know, we have some kids that are very hyposensitive, and so you need more stimulating activities. So just depending on the child. And working with a good OT, I mean, of course, I always have my OT on board, and I go to her all the time for questions with, you know, I need some more ideas with this child. So if you have a good OT on board that can really write a good sensory diet, right. um, not to follow, I mean, to, to have as a guideline for when the sensory needs arise. Right. Um, a sensory diet doesn't fix. I mean, that doesn't cure the sensory problem. Um, there's a reason this, you know, it can help with the symptoms. It can, um, by all means, it can definitely help, um, but it's not a quote-unquote cure, you know. Right, right. It's making them feel comfortable but not necessarily teaching them how to regulate on their own, which is another tool on itself. We have to take a break in just a minute, Angie. So um, we'll go ahead and, and take the break. When we get back, I want to mention a, a I know you have done a lot of IEPs, so I'd like to talk a little bit about IEPs and how you handle both the um, the speech and the, the needs for um, development in their IEP. So we'll be right back with Angie Knight. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. The challenges we face day-to-day create physical, intellectual, spiritual, and emotional tensions, which affect the way we feel. Our body sends us signals, pain, stress, worry, that originate in how we think, feel, or behave. We're all a little crazy. Host, clinical social worker, and therapist, Debbie Benching, and her expert guests look at the various influences that mold professional and public views of mental health, treatments, and methods to achieve emotional well-being. Learn to manage difficult circumstances in life and relationships with integrity and confidence. Express emotion more clearly and gain depth in choices that lead to mental and physical health in your relationship and your life. Tune into We're All a Little Crazy with Debbie Benching, broadcasting each Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're All a Little Crazy. Clarity, healing, and change through personal growth. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. We are back and we're back with the wonderful Angie Knight talking about speech therapy and how to child to communicate with you 
but um, we've, ha we've had some good conversations already about regulation and prompting speech, which we're going to go into a little bit more after. But um, one question that's big on everybody's mind is the IEP process. And uh, yes, I mean, is, is, is individual as a child is as individual mm -hmm. as the school. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Absolutely. So I know I'm not looking for a one-size-fits-all answer here. Yes. But, Angie, I'll tell you, I, you know how much I do for my son on a physical uh, and trying to get him well and how much I do with the diet and how much I try to do with giving therapy in our home. Yet the one area I have no, like, energy left for is school. I know. And, I, and, and, you, and you, you have laughed at me and just been like, how could you not know what his IEP says? And I'm like, I just can't do one more thing. Oh, Bessie, you're great. But, you're, you know, there's other parents in your same position. And I think, and I am not cutting schools by any means. I mean, but the thing is we put our trust and our faith all into the schools that they're doing the job they the best job that they can do with our kids. Um, and my advice to parents is you need to stay on top of schools. And it's it's not that the people are bad, it's not that the therapists are bad, but they're overworked, they're underpaid. The number of children with autism, the number of children with disabilities alone is is just on an epidemic rise. So they have all these children, and you are your child's only advocate, and you need to make sure that the goals that are established for the year are appropriate, that they're being met, um, that you know what they're doing when they're being pulled out for speech or they're being pulled out for OT. You know what they're doing if they're in the regular classroom, um, every child's placement is different, and you need to really, I mean, I even recommend talking with an advocate. Um, there's an IEP advocate here that I speak with very often um, because he understands the IEP process very well and what children's rights are and what the parents' rights are and how to help fight for a really good IEP. And we have to understand our kids are there six hours a day. This is their primary source of learning. Right. Um, of course, I always recommend private therapy in addition, but for the most part, they are in charge of our ch child's education, so we want to make sure they're doing their job. Um, and I think when you go in with a very positive attitude where you're wanting to work with the team, not fight the team, but work with the team, but where this team knows this mom knows her stuff or this dad knows his stuff, and they're not going to back down. Um, sometimes the IEP teams will give you a child like, you know, three, four goals for the whole year. Like, that's it? This is what they're working on for the whole year? And the teams will often say, no, we'll work on all their stuff too. But really, they're only accountable for what's on that IEP. And so if a child has a behavior issue, you know, you hear a lot about kids being put in these isolated rooms or these, you know, Almost abusive things happening in schools because oh, a lot the parents yeah. absolutely because the the team doesn't know what to do, and so what you need to do is really make sure there is a behavior plan written out and put into that IEP because the school has to follow that behavior plan. If it is written in their IEP, they are accountable to 
following that behavior plan. And parents need to make sure that they approve and are happy and satisfied with the behavior plan. Um, and if they don't know how to even go about starting one, you know, find access in your community to a person who is a behavior therapist um, and specializes with children like your child that, that can write a good, healthy, quote-unquote healthy behavior plan. Safety plan is also something that you want to make sure is attached to an IEP. Um, you know, oftentimes you sit in IEP meetings and they'll say, oh, yeah, this is what we'll do if this happens, you know, if, if they run out of the building, this is what they do. Well, they need to make sure that safety plan is written in the IEP for them to be held accountable. Um, so those are just a few a few little tips. And, you know, always you always have the right to seek outside evaluations. If you think your child is being underestimated, if you think the goals are being set too low, there's people in every community that, that can come and do an outside evaluation and give you ideas of what kind of goals and strategies and modifications and accommodations should be put into that IEP. Well, with advocates, it's just like hiring a doctor. It's just like hiring a therapist. You know, I've seen advocates whose goal is nothing more than to just really start trouble and get what they want, but if you really don't know what it is your child needs, that might be the first place to start. Because hiring an advocate until until you've hired a very good therapist who can at least tell the advocate what is needed. Right. And, you know, the advocates that I work with here, they're very um, they're very good. They tell parents, I mean, you need to go talk to these therapists. And they, they give their recommendations based on what the therapists say. And, of course, it's a very team approach. I mean, the parent really wants their child to be in the regular classroom. And if I disagree with that, I will tell the parent, this is what I would recommend. If it is your goal to get them into the regular classroom, we can work towards that. But I really try to put the child's best interest at heart and then um, try to work, you know, with the parent. Um, Because some parents don't, they don't know. And some parents, they just, they know what they want. You know, I want my child in regular classroom. Um, and advocates, usually their job is to give the parents what they want. So you want to find a good therapist so that it's going to, you know, try to get the, the parents what they want, but also really think in the best interest of the child. child, too. Let's talk about that and, and how to get everybody who's involved in this child on the same page, because you've mentioned that to me, how, how important that is. You can, you know, that is so important. and. I highly recommend inviting therapists. If you have outside therapists, if they're ABA therapists, they're speech therapists, OT, whatever, invite them to the IEP meeting to share what is going on. You can also recommend to have like six-week um, meetings, like written the IEP. I want six-week meetings. You don't have to wait till parent-teacher conferences. Um, you can write in um, the IEP that you want a traveling notebook going back and forth from therapists. So it's one therapist, home therapist writing it, speech therapist at school writing it, um, school teacher might write in it, parent will write in it. So we're all keeping communication going between the team. You know, well, even things like, oh, I found out that um, the squeeze ball really works and he can sit and squeeze and work at the same time. You know, right. the other therapist right. might want to know that. One thing that worked for me, Angie, was um, everybody wanted to know the same basic questions, 
So instead of just doing a communication book because it, I was never getting enough information, uh, it was a fill in, I, I developed a fill-in-the-blank page so that the school can quickly check off what was going on today at school and write in a couple of different things. That's a very good idea, yes. So that and they don't have to take a lot of time to write. Yes. And we've we've done that, too, even with um, visual schedules or, you know, where they can just photocopy right. and then they can just jot down notes on their visual schedule or, like you said, just do a, a blank note sheet and they just fill in or circle what it is. Okay. So that is a good idea. Um, in dealing with hiring therapists, um, I live in a not popular area of Wisconsin. We have lots of um, good cattle, but we don't <laughs> we don't have a lot of good therapists. And although I happen to live, and we purposely moved not too far from a university, uh, of where I hired students who mm-hmm. were were getting degrees in special ed of some sort or another. Um, and then I have one person majorly who is trained, who's in charge, who kind of puts the program together. Mm-hmm. I pay everything out of pocket, but because they're students, uh, you know, cost-wise, mm-hmm. it's it's great, and there's not as much paperwork because it's not going through an insurance um, company or something such as that. Is that uh, do you feel that that's a good enough option for somebody who may not be near a lot of good speech therapists? Absolutely, especially if you can get your tutors trained and knowing how to play and interact. Um, and get the goals accomplished. You know, I, I've i had families on my case that I've told moms, I'm like, you are a better speech therapist than some speech therapists I know. Sure. Um, you know, they might not have all the the research knowledge and everything and how everything works together and know all the, the basic literature part of it, but implementation is the key. And if they can implement good language then that's that's your key. I mean, my um, my niece works with a, a client on our caseload, um, just kind of as a tutor. She's a high school student, and she's just learning basically basic speech therapy um, just to implement in the home. So I think tutors are great as long as they can be trained and. Um, video, there's videotapes out there that you probably can access. Um, of course, you can send them to trainings. Um, you can train them yourself if you're a parent. Um, but so, it yeah. is good to have make sure that they are getting um, continuous training and up and updates and mm-hmm. and knowing how to handle certain situations. And in my case, just so people are wondering, my connection with Angie is that, you know, in, in my working with Angie, I have Angie videotape herself working with Joey, and then I share those videotapes with the girls that I have working with Joey here. Mm-hmm. This way, they're watching firsthand exactly customized as to, to how to work with my son, um, and you can do that with any speech therapist that you really like that you maybe you can't get to on a weekly basis. If you can mm-hmm. start recording it, then you can use that as a training basis when you're at home. And not even just for the therapist, for grandma and grandpa and the sisters and brothers right. and everybody needs to watch how to work with that child. 
We have to take another break. Um, but when we get back, Angie, if we could talk more about prompting language, and we, we touched on that in the very beginning, but I think that it's important that we give um, some examples of ways that you were able to, to get more language out of some of your patients and kind of the, the sequence of, of how you work into that. All right. Okay, so we'll be right back with Angie Knight, speech therapist, for our final segment. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the Sensory Learning Program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. Omega Institute is the country's leading center for holistic studies. Now you can experience selected workshops from Omega in the comfort of your own home. Join us for a live web broadcast with John Friend, the founder of Anasara Yoga. In this dynamic workshop, we learn a Hatha Yoga system that is a celebration of the heart and looks for the good in all people and all things. To find out more about our live web broadcast, log on to our website, www.eomega.org. That's www.eomega.org. Or call us at 800-944-1001. That's 800-944-1001. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. We're back, and we're back here with Angie Knight, speech therapist, talking about uh, how to get more communication out of your child with autism. And, Angie, we talked about at the very beginning of the show the piece on, uh, you know, if, if they can really get with them in that early intervention before age four when their, their mind is constantly um, at a high level of learning. But so many parents come to us in our clinic with a child who may be a teenager mm-hmm. or because the epidemic is now starting, the high end of the epidemic, the older part of the epidemic is 
they're now teenagers. Right. And they maybe have now just figured out that biomedical intervention is the way they mm-hmm. want to go, so now their child just starts getting well. As in my situation, it took a long time to start healing my son. Right. And now I'm dealing with a 13-year-old child who is feeling great, who's very happy, but was never taught to be able to speak. And right. now we're dealing with it with the first time. And you've told me it's it's really a different way of teaching. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I don't want parents. I didn't want parents to give up hope. Just be, if you don't hit it in the early early intervention ages, it's okay. There's still so much we can do. The brain is constantly regenerating itself, so don't Abs- feel like it's it's. A, a very an end because I've seen twenty year olds start speaking for the first time. Absolutely. Um, so, and there's and biomedical treatments work wonderful. I mean, it might take a little bit longer, but it will work. You also have to understand that kids that get started later, they've been doing a lot of the same routines, whatever their little stims may be. Um, if they haven't been talking, they haven't been talking for eight, nine years or whenever you get started. So they have a lot of habits that have developed. So even once their bodies feel better, their mind is better, their mind is clearer, and their behaviors are better because they're calmer, they still have just, you know, they've been twirling strings for eight, nine years. Right. They've been doing, exactly. you know, they've been biting their hands for eight, nine years. You watching just can't... the same videos. Exactly. They've been, yeah, watching videos for however long until their body is healed. So you can't just expect overnight changes. Um, so you, a lot of it is just changing habits. Um, now, as far as speech, and the best way to change habits is to practice other habits and hopefully practice more functional, appropriate habits. And like I said in the beginning, it's coming to a happy medium, slowly taking them off of their habits and into your habits. Um, it's kind of like running a marathon. I wouldn't just expect to go out and do 26 miles, but if I slowly build up five, six, seven, you know, we can get there. Um, and the same thing for speech. Um, if they are able to communicate but they just choose not to communicate, then that's going to be different than they just they just cannot communicate. So, you you know, you have different children. So let's take a child that has the ability to communicate but just doesn't initiate communication, kind of like Joey. Okay. Um, Joey, for example, can communicate. If he can imitate. He can imitate, you know, three, four-word sentences, even longer. Um, so the more he's talking throughout the day, the more he's going to talk. Um, if he goes six hours of his day at school without talking much, it's going to be harder to get more of that communication out. That's why school is so important. They, everyone needs to be on the same page of making him talk. Um, if he can, if he can imitate, and he can imitate whatever you want him to say, that's a starting place. But then the next step is to try to get him to start initiating things by himself. So of course, asking different questions. What's the boy doing? Where are you going? And if he can comprehend those questions and answer them, then you want to be asking him questions all day long about everything he's doing. Right. 
Um, if he doesn't quite know how to answer certain questions, then you, we can use what I call lead-in phrases, where you just kind of lead them into the to the response, where they still have to fill in the blank. Um, so, you know, if you ask a child, oh, what's Daddy doing? And let's say Daddy's eating cereal. Um, dad, then you would lead him in. What's Daddy doing? And he just sits there. You would say, Daddy is... And then hopefully the child would say, eating. You're right. Daddy is eating cereal. Daddy is, and hopefully they fill in the blank, eating cereal. So you kind of like lead them into the correct answer. Um, if they don't give you the correct answer, if they don't lead it in, lead into the correct answer, you teach them it. So let's say I want the child to say, open the door. You would say, oh, Joey, we're going to open the door. We're going to, and you kind of make the first O part. Right. So you lead him into it. If he still doesn't say it, you tell him, say, open the door. Then he and now, that, now that he's been trained in this, as soon as he hears a question, he's gotten very good at responding because he knows that intonation of right. the question means that I want to hear something from him. Right, the expectation of communication. Right. And, and doing – go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, mention how this is a lot – because this is something you mentioned to me. This is a lot like learning a foreign language at this point. Well, absolutely. I mean, the first, when kids are in their own world for so long, and now for the first time they're actually attending to what we're saying, it'd be like me going to, you know, France and listening to all these French speakers, and I'm actually starting, you know, the first, my first reaction would just be to tune them out. You know, a lot of these kids are tuning them out. So if I were to go to France and someone wanted to teach me French, that's kind of how, I mean, they'd have to start with very basic stuff with me. Right. And, um, and and giving me the answer and then asking me to repeat it is exactly how I would expect to really learn. Absolutely. It's like recept that's like kids that really can't talk. I mean they, they grunt, they grope, they just can't get those verbalizations out. You need to do a really structured speech approach, maybe use some augmentative type communication so they can practice expressing in some means, whether it be through pictures or an OGCOM device, some means practicing expressing what they've learned. Because usually we take in information and then we express it. And the more we talk about it, the easy, the more that language sticks, if that makes sense. It does make a lot of sense. So what about a child, though, who's not actually forming the words at all? Okay, then if... if and what is it? That's dyspraxia? That's probably called dyspraxia, or some people call it a praxia of speech, um, where they just, they know what they want to say, they just can't get the message from the brain to the mouth. They can't motor plan. Okay. Um, and so those kids that have, now there's some kids that have a praxia in isolation and they don't have any other signs, they don't have characteristics of autism. Then there's a lot of kids that have characteristics of autism and have coexisting apraxia as well. Okay. And so you really want to work on the apraxia forming, you know, following. There's different, there's Kaufman approaches, different kinds of um, approaches you can use. And you just want to start with, with where they're at. So if they can try to imitate, then you just want to start building on word approximations. And there's severities of it too. Some kids can imitate single words but can't do two, three-word combinations, so you just want to build up from there. So you're going to do a lot more speech-type approaches where 
some of the example. other kids, it's more of expressive, expressive language. Okay, give me an example of that. Okay, so let's. Uh, I'll take two kids. One child, like Joey, I would just do more expressive language, trying to trigger right. the speech out of him. He's already got there. Another child, if they, um, I would probably do more word cards. I would do labeling. Starting with labeling. It's a ball. It's a. I'll put your lips together. I'd show them the posturing. So I'd actually be teaching them to form words and sounds to get speech out. I, I might start with vowels. Some kids, they can't even say there's 14 vowels in our language. E, ooh, ah, trying to get their brain to switch from okay. E to ooh. Okay. So it's more speechy type. Sure, sure. More, right, just the syllables at that point. Yes, it's just it. depending on where the kid is at. Okay. So in 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 after the evaluation of all this is is all done and and you've kind of come up with a plan um and the the customization of it all I I just I think the last thing that we have to let people know is we have a minute left of the show is to know that it's always changing that it always needs to be customizing if you've been doing the same thing for a year and it's not changing right you need to do something different Absolutely you need to go with the kid, and, and your goal is to make progress. I mean, my expectations, I don't want to be doing the same thing for two, three weeks in a row. Right. You know, if I work on vowels, I want them to get those vowels and then go to the next step. I mean, you want to be making progress. Sometimes, you know, I make progress, and then you you hold a little bit, and then you progress, and then you kind of plateau for a little bit, and that's okay, but you shouldn't just completely plateau in one area. These kids are smart and they can make gains. And and they need it every day. It's not just going to the speech therapist for a half an hour once a week. Absolutely. It's every day. So everybody in the family has to be on board with this. Angie, thank you so much for you being here. You bet you. I hope day. I gave some good insight. You always give me great insight, and I always appreciate it very, very oh, much. Oh, you're sweet. You guys take care. Thank you. Everybody, next week we will have singer Shirley Levi on the show, who will have her show that she has... Um, donating the profits to autism. It'll be a great show. Hopefully you'll join us next week. Thanks for everybody for listening. Bye-bye. The Sensory Learning Center would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Betsy or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks.